Our second lesson comes from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Hear God's word for you today. Here is my servant. This is God talking. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The word of the Lord. So, not too far Way uh, on Christmas Eve service, I was here uh, borrowing the analogy of these little tiny ants and saying, well, the best way if you wanted to communicate with those little tiny ants would be to shrink down and to become one of them, to get down to their level, to interact with them, to understand better what they're going through in their lives. And so... That was a rudimentary way for me to share the Christmas story. This story about the extraordinary measures that God took to send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world. So that we might have a more personal, a more accurate, and a deeper understanding of of who God is. And so I finished the sermon and sat down and then got an opportunity to listen to our choir. And then they began to sing a beautiful rendition of the poem titled The Mood of Christmas. And it's by Howard Thurman. I want to read it again. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, The work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people and to make music in the heart. Those words, when I heard them being sung by our beautiful choir, I thought to myself, that was part two of the sermon. And, you know, part one was me sharing with you the extraordinary ways that God has come into this world so that God would be made fully known. And then we hear part two from our choir of saying, okay, now that God has been made known, the next step is 
God, how do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? And so this morning, Isaiah 42 echoes the words of Howard Thurman. It was thousands of years ago that Isaiah 42 was first heard, the word of God coming to those enslaved Israelites living in Babylon. They were exiled. They were enslaved because they had ignored God's commands. They had neglected the poor and the marginalized. Finally, in this moment, God reveals a new message of hope, describing how a servant of God would come and bring justice to the nations. But here's the twist. Not by strength, not by might, but through humility and suffering. The role that humility and suffering would play in the life of God's servant, this servant king, will be forever redefined through the life of Jesus Christ, all the way to the cross. And so we have scholars and we have professors that warn us against projecting Jesus directly onto these types of passages like Isaiah 42. And I have to be honest with you, I really have a hard time not doing that. That when I hear the words uh, that Art shared, um, we'll hear these words from Isaiah 42. Here's my servant, whom I am uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Doesn't that sound like the words that Art shared with the first scripture passage of Jesus being baptized, of the Holy Spirit coming down upon, descending upon Jesus, of him, the, the whole heavenly father saying, this is my beloved son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. And then Isaiah 42 continues on. He will open the eyes of the blind. He will bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. Do you know those are the exact words that when John the Baptist was in prison, he sent one of his disciples to Jesus and said, tell me straight, are you the Messiah or do we need to keep looking? And those are the words that he used to affirm, no, I'm him. And then we get to Jesus's first sermon where he goes in the synagogue and he uses this passage. He uses these kinds of words and saying in your presence, it is being fulfilled. And those hometown people didn't like it. They almost throw him off a cliff that day. And so now it continues on to the last day of his life, the night before his death, where he's with his disciples. He takes off his clothes. He puts on a servant's loincloth. He gets on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. And then he says, do what I just did. Follow my example. And one of my favorites is where Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's redefining greatness. And he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is a true and accurate reflection 
of this suffering servant that is described here in Isaiah 42. And he calls us as his followers, as his disciples, to reflect who he is, reflect his way of life, reflect his teachings, to become Christ-like in every aspect of our lives. Now that's pretty hard to do, isn't it? We have a sinful nature to us. And so as hard as it is, that's the challenge that we're given to strive to follow Christ's example. And I was listening yesterday at the men's Bible study, uh, The Breakfast, where we have a book that we're studying by N.T. Wright. And John Hayes lifted up a great line from the book where they're talking about the Tower of Babel. And N.T. Wright says, those who are supposed to be reflecting God, to reflecting God's image into the world, that is human beings, are instead looking into mirrors of their own. And they both like and are frightened by what they see. Arrogant and insecure, they have become self-important. Jesus came to earth not to be served, but to serve. And now he calls us to be reflections of him. Not to spend our time looking in the mirror and admiring or being ashamed of what we see, but reflecting his very life. And so it's so clear time after time again throughout Scripture that the heart of the Christian life is a life of service. We are called to serve the servant king. If we don't get that, we don't understand what Christianity is all about. We have completely missed the point. Now, here's the great news. Every single one of us can serve. Every single one of us, no matter our age, no matter our background, no matter what we're going through. So I'm going to borrow from one of Dr. King's old sermons where he was preaching. And he said, here's what I like about Jesus's teachings. It's that everyone can be great because everyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't need to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. And you can be that servant. And so... Dr. King would go on and he would practice what he preached, bringing equality and justice to so many that were experiencing racism and various forms of discrimination. And he did so through nonviolent protest. He did so through a life of service. And so next weekend and on that Monday, we get to celebrate his life. We get to honor his service in the best possible way by serving two hours 10 o'clock on Monday, serving as well. Helping women who don't have a safe place to live. Helping homeless people who don't have any place to live. And we also have other opportunities to serve, not just that one day. You have opportunities when you serve and volunteer at different nonprofits, first aid squads, 
by serving and volunteering your time that you do right here, the different ways that you're a part of committees or on session or a deacon. There's so many different ways that people serve in the life of this church and the way that you give your time, your talents, your financial support that you provide. Anyone can serve. It's great. What's also great is that not only anyone can serve, but it doesn't look the same. And so it's different, it's unique, it's beautiful. Here's what else is great, is that when you have the opportunity to serve, you are making a positive impact in the lives of those who are in need. And here's the funniest thing that happens. When you are helping other people benefit, you benefit. Have you ever volunteered your time? Have you ever served and helped people in need and then you walk away and you say, Well, that was a waste of time. No, it doesn't happen. Normally, you serve and you say, wow, that felt good. I really enjoyed that. I'm aware we're all struggling. We all have stuff that we have that we're dealing with. What's nice about serving is that when we're making a difference in the lives of others, We help them with their struggles and we take a moment to not be stuck on our own struggles. Sometimes here's another thing that I like about service is that when you are serving alongside people that are different from you, it provides you with a healthier, fresh perspective for you to be able to say, you know what? I don't have it so bad. Yeah, I'm going through some things. But I also have a lot of things to be thankful for. Recognizing what God is doing and then participating, coming alongside what God is doing. It's going to help you reduce the anxieties and fears that you feel. It's going to increase and strengthen your faith. We place our faith and we worship a God who is actively bringing about and restoring justice. Here's one last thing that Dr. King said. This is more uh, popular of a term. He says, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. If you were alive today, my guess is that he would still say, yeah, it's true. Not because of his belief in nonviolent protest, not because he was able to effectively organize and strategize and build coalitions, not because he was able to preach and speak and motivate like few else. No, I think he would say those words are true because he believed in his heart and his soul and his mind and every fiber of the being as a Christian that God came to earth as a humble servant. That though he was bruised and he was beaten, he was not broken. Though his life was extinguished on that cross, that smoldering wick burst into flames on that third day. Christ alone is able to be the one that bends the arc of the moral universe towards justice and to bring light to a world of darkness. And he did it in a way that is totally unexpected. 
Not through acquiring power, but by turning power upside down. And he's still doing it to this very day in places and spaces that we barely can recognize. But he's doing it. And he's using everyday people like you and me and this church and other churches and nonprofits to establish establish justice here on earth. And one of the ways that he does it is whenever we serve the servant. It's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Amen. Anytime that you have prayer concerns, joys, concerns, anything, please utilize those prayer cards in the pews. Uh, Now is the time where ushers will be coming around and collecting those before our prayers of the people. Mm -hmm.